Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you will find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Hello, and welcome to the State of Economy podcast. I'm your host Jyoti Bantia, and in this episode, we'll talk about the ever-evolving space of fintechs in India. To delve deeper into this space, we have Sanjay Doshi, partner and head financial services advisory, KPMG in India. as well as Pranav Pai founding partner and CIO 314 Capital according to recent reports the total addressable market for the fintech space in india is expected to reach 2.1 trillion by 2030 with a compounded annual growth rate of around 18% from 2022 since 2014 the sector has attracted more than 25.8 billion in investment and the sector is continuing to see a fair bit of traction from investors as well as players so now with this context we start the podcast my first question is to mr sanjay how is the fintech space evolving in india what are the recent trends that you have noticed sure hi jyoti so if you look at fintech space right so fintech space if i want to broadly divide it there are three large components to it uh, one component is uh, which was the initial start of the fintech phase which was driven by payments and there are entities which are really driving innovations in the areas of payments uh, the second space is where you already had uh, regulated entities in the space of lending wealth management or insurance and now fintechs have really got into the space of all three whether as large distributors or they themselves are the manufacturers of products and the third space is where fintechs are actually more of enablers and service providers to some of the large players which are banks non banking finance companies and insurance so these are the three large spaces and all three large spaces are typically really growing the business model is really evolving to ensure that you are not only capturing transactions or you are not focusing only on customer acquisitions but more importantly how you really are making a long term sustainable unit economics model right in terms of the businesses so over all the three areas large areas fintechs are really gaining ground investments uh, definitely uh, have mellowed a bit uh, but i think it's more like a temporary phase uh, people are post covid uh, really come up with very innovative plans technology uh, has become the biggest enabler for any business especially financial services and fintechs definitely are re- really leading the play there so investments and quality investments still are flowing in and you can expect a lot of growth uh, being driven by fintechs in the space Tanav, if you could please weigh in. Of course, of course. Uh, so, from the investment perspective, we look at India fintech in in five broad categories: payments, lending, inve- uh, wealth and investment, and broking, and so on. So, we call it investment tech, insurance, and banking. And we're very happy to say that uh, at least for the last twelve to fourteen years, uh, there has been intense innovation across all five areas. And of course, a lot of the startup innovators, as we can quite expect. in any any ecosystem in the world they usually on the very edge of regulation on the edge of innovation they push it, pushing the frontier and i must say uh, as observers of the financial regulatory landscape we've also seen a very conducive environment from regulators uh, they've been very forward looking they've been quite inclusive they have included industry in the consultations and they've consistently taken the points of view of the industry before coming up with norms that make sense so of course sometimes there are shocks uh, of course but largely we have seen that a foundational framework has been laid down for what shape the financial industry innovation will take in the country going forward 
And the three big pillars of all of these five areas that we invest is, of course, the India stack. And that's been fantastic. That's been a massive uh, contributor to reducing costs, improving efficiencies, and including more of the country in this innovation landscape. The second is regulation and policy. And I think we've had largely a very refreshing and uh, forward-looking bent of mind when it comes to regulation and policy. And third, uh, I'm, I count the incumbents. I count the existing large Indian financial institutions as a large player in this because as you've probably seen in the last two to three years, most of the innovation now in fintech is happening with financial institutions, not against them. Uh, I'll give you a simple example. In banking in the UK or LATAM, you hear of challenger banks like Revolut, New Bank, and so on. And they compete with the Barclays and the BNPs and so on. Uh, so it's a zero-sum game there. Right? One of them wins their customer's account. But in India, you have uh, cooperative banking. You have banking platforms that work with the bank to bring the business to the bank. They share the business. They make the customer experience better. We don't have anything called a challenger bank in India. And that's a very interesting uh, difference in the shape of the innovation here. So the boundaries are clear now. I think the landscape is large. We have some of our best minds, the sharpest founders now, continue to want, want to work in fintech. So I must say, as an investor, we're very positive and optimistic, looking forward to doing a lot more in this category. However, with the onset of the funding winter in 2020, both the deal value and the deal counts, even for the fintech space, has declined by almost 40% in terms of the deal value and 13%, 13.5% year-on-year in terms of when we see the deal count, respectively, right? So what is the future of the funding landscape for fintechs in India? Pranav, if you could please start first. So I think uh, historically, if you go back, say, five years, look at 2018, uh, we've consistently been raising between 2 and $3 billion for fintech in India, right? 2 and $3 billion of fresh funding every year. And that's spread across all these five areas I mentioned, from banking to insurance and, and payments and so on and so forth. Of course, uh, because we have a lot of large fintech companies, Paytm and PhonePay and so on, uh, many large ones, Policy Bazaar, etc., uh, the composition of the funding tends to skew to them, right? The, the 100 million, 200 million type rounds are all happening with the bigger fintech companies. So even inside that two to three billion, there's a skewing, which is fine. That's expected. That's part of the ecosystem. I think 21 and uh, of course for the whole world, but 2021 was an aberration and went close to 10 billion for fintech in India. Uh, and that's definitely a spike. So uh, to expect that to continue would, would be a little bit uh, of a difficult assumption to make. But where I think we will settle is, again, we'll go back to around 3 to 4 billion. We'll be at a new normal. Uh, so 2022 was close to 6. I think 2023, we're already at 2. We should get to 3, uh, where we still have a few months left. So lastly, I think uh, as investors in fintech, we believe fintech is going to remain one of the top three areas in India. There's commerce, there's SaaS, there's fintech, and there's consumer, D2C, and so on. I think it's going to very clearly be in the top three, top four. Uh, I'm also seeing very, I'm happy to say, you know, 314, we get seven to 800 startups pitching to us every month, a uh, large composition of them still the third cat second or third category remains fintech. Of course, you have edtech and other uh, commerce and so on competing, but fintech remains strong. So I think the appetite for innovation remains strong. The demand from industry remains strong. Consumers in India are adopting fintech in very interesting ways from payments to banking to lending and so on. So I think the usage will remain high. And of course, innovation, thanks to regulation, we just had credit on UPI, for example, announced that should see a flutter of companies being built on that model. Uh, so I think all the co combination lends us to believe that 3 to 4 billion a year should be in a stable state we should achieve from next year onwards. Sanjay, if you could please come in and weigh in. I completely echo Pranav's views. Uh, 
uh, in fact, uh, uh, you know, as we speak, you have a large event uh, going on in Mumbai on the Global FinTech Film Festival. And uh, the kind of interest uh, which is being generated not only amongst uh, the FinTech uh, players, but even in terms of consumers and more importantly, investors, I think it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, expecting, I think 2020 was a year of low, uh, but uh, a lot of uh, recovery happened in 2021. And I agree with Pranav. Investments uh, you can't expect at the same level, but definitely the interest levels are high, uh, but it's calibrated. Uh, people now as investors are not only looking at uh, models which are really going to get volumes, uh, but models which definitely has a plan of how we really working out a sustainable unit economics, right? So that's something definitely is a focus area from an investor's perspective that how they are going to see uh, a bottom line driven business as well and not purely a top line driven business. Uh, but the interest levels are high. Uh, on top of it, investors are also have started looking at normal players in the market who have been who are who have adopted technology as a big play. So I won't say that they are moving towards fintech, but definitely technology is a big enabler for any lender. So let's say a lot of digitalization which is happening in the space of lending or even in space of insurance, and you see a lot of investments going into players who really are focusing and in investing in in technology in those areas as well. So see a sustained level of investments really coming in this area within the fintech space are aggressively looking at lending as one of the biggest growth drivers for them the various sectors as both of you have mentioned have been looking at lending to be one of the biggest growth drivers for them in terms of acquiring user base in terms of even for the push towards profitability. So why have fintechs, which were basically a tech-driven or more user-based kind of a model, have shifted to lending as a business? Sanjay, if you could please start first. Sure. So see, one fintechs which were tech-based and were providing tech services, like you know, if I have to take an example or a name of yours. So they continue to provide those services, but of course, lending definitely really gives the added advantage of really making the business model quite sustainable. See, post UPI coming in, payments definitely has gone through a big challenge in terms of the kind of MBR or charges uh, the players do get. Uh, the area which really makes uh, something which is uh, scale driven and bottom line driven uh, lending. And that's why, and, and with the kind of data which is available to many of those fintechs, uh, of course, the data protection and privacy guidelines will now calibrate some of those elements as well. The fintech started seeing lending as a huge opportunity to really scale up the business, keep on the customers on their platform and uh, come up with uh, very fast turnaround digital products available, uh, which is, uh, you know, currently the need of the market. At the same time, the traditional lenders uh, definitely did not have that short turnaround time reach to the market through technology, which most of them have started building up now. And that's a space, again, the fintechs are a great opportunity to fill in, right? So that those are the attraction why the fintech started going into the lending model. Definitely one of the major reasons why, because legacy players probably were not, were fintechs saw gap where legacy players were not able to uh, sort of fit in. And that is where pro uh, they were able to capture that market. Pranav, if you could please come in and weigh on this. Yeah, of course, Jyoti. So I think, uh, look, we have to be a little realistic about what are the revenue lines possible for these fintechs, right? Uh, one is uh, you can charge a customer. So if you charge a retail customer, it's a subscription fee or like how what you pay Netflix or Spotify or whatever. Or you can charge the B2B, like the enterprise, right? Or that's called a SaaS fee, license fee, so on. Uh, the second revenue line is, uh, of course, commissions on transactions. So maybe it's a one-time fee for originating a loan or one-time fee for a 
originating a mutual fund purchase. So there's commissions or a you know on on some kind of transaction. Third are of course uh, in payments you specifically have MDRs, right? And that's that is a very multi very large multi ten billion dollar revenue pool in most large ecosystems in the world. It's not in India like like Sanjay mentioned due to UPI. And fourth is uh, trailing revenues, annuities, credits. So credit, for example, lending, the interest on top of the loan. Uh, that's four. So there are only a very limited set of possible revenue lines for fintechs to build, right? Now, uh, the most uh, obvious thing to build was, and that's what all the payment companies were doing, the wallet companies and so on before, while wallets were still a thing uh, in the early part of last decade. Uh, and they were doing quite well. The, the, the setup was that you acquire 100 million users, they'll all use your wallet. There's a ease of transactions and so on, and you make money per transaction, right? So the payback on acquiring those customers is realized at a certain scale. And obviously, UPI has come. That's changed the dynamics of the margin profile of the payments business. Uh, whether that's right or wrong for the business, you know, I don't have a comment, but it's, that's a clear event. And therefore, it's not surprising that the payment companies who had achieved scale and they had built genuinely useful platforms and, and uh, utilities for customers, for merchants, for the banks, and so on, they should not just suddenly shut shop tomorrow, right? Uh, they should evolve. So it's not surprising they went to credit. So I think there's a natural progression here. As a fintech builds trust, it should end up doing two things. It should end up having a importance in the customer's life that they can eventually charge a customer. So a subscription or a SaaS fee, whatever it is, right? And that is the end goal, I think, for a lot of these companies. But while they're going there, uh, yes, lending will be a good good way to uh, make uh, generate revenues. Uh, you know, distributing insurance, like some of the largest fintechs are going to do now, with their broking licenses, that's doing quite well, especially for the ones that have gone public recently. So I think uh, we shouldn't uh, disparage these companies or call them, uh, you know, having no strategy or or call them indecisive. They are expanding into multi-revenue line platforms, like they should. That's the whole value of building a fintech platform and getting it to this scale. In fact, Jyoti, just to add here, uh, you know, the biggest advantage uh, most fintechs have built is how to leverage the alternate data and how to really then uh, come up with underwriting models using alternate data. So that's also one advantage which really helps them to diversify. But if you look at the new norms that have come in by the RBI, whether it is the FLTG norms or whether it is on who is going to underwrite these loans, this puts the fintechs, uh, this was done by the RBI because the fintechs were, le- were able to leverage a lot more while they were in partnership with either NBFCs or with banks. So uh, when these new regulations come in by the RBI, which could hurt a business, I mean, in terms of like, they would have to change their business model or adapt to news or adapt to these new regulations and guidelines. How are fintechs viewing this space at this moment, especially when it comes to RBI guidelines and regulations? Pranav, if you could please start first. Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, I think it's important to have regulations uh, ahead of innovation, right? Uh, at least theoretically, so that everyone knows where the lines are, where the boundaries are, how it should work. And then you can fund a startup, the startup can build a revenue line, you can, you can hire people to scale out a revenue line, so on and so forth, right? But normally, because uh, like we already discussed, the innovation is so rapid, it is rapid in India. Normally, uh, regulation comes in a little bit later. Uh, so that's a practical reality of, of a lot of things across the world. It's a practical reality for fintech in India. Nothing wrong with that. But I do think, I must say, I side with the regulators on a lot of this. There has been a history of certain companies skirting regulations, being in gray areas, uh, sometimes not doing what is best for the customer, simply doing what is best for their growth. Uh, So there were certain risks being introduced into the core systemic part of the financial system in India. 
uh, even with uh, the payment uh, networks and the payment aggregators and, and the lending aggregators and so on, that was not good for the health of the system. And neither was, of course, it was not good for the customer either. So I'm not surprised that the uh, regulators have stepped in. I'm glad that they have taken a very mature approach. I must say they, they spoke to all the industry players. They spoke to industry bodies like IVC and so on. They've consulted with all of us who uh, are uh, stakeholders in this ecosystem. And they've come up with, I think, norms that are very reliable for long-term now sustainable businesses to be built, right? Uh, and there are some principles here that I'm very glad we've established quite early. One, we, we have to figure out a role for fintechs to play with the existing financial system. So they cannot be on the boundary and simply causing chaos. There are a few that, that have done it in the past, not all of them, of course. But I think that has to be stopped. That has been stopped. And I'm glad to see that now risk is taken very seriously and all fintechs are held to a very high standard. That's important, right? And they should not get away with having lower standards uh, somehow imposed on them. Second, I think it's also freed up the existing financial institutions to work with fintechs in a very calibrated manner. Now, it was unclear how to work with these fintechs, right? They're bringing you customers, they're bringing you data. Uh, they can help you scale a book quite fast, but will they help you with collections? Will they help you with underwriting? Uh, will they bring, bring a bank-grade scrutiny on top of the book that they're building with you? Those are some of the things that were unclear for some of these fintechs, right? So banks are also a little hesitant to work with some of these companies. But now that these norms are in, banks know exactly how to work with them. Banks know how to limit exposure and underwrite risk together. I think co-lending has also taken this one step beyond and helped NBFCs and banks work together with fintechs as aggregators and so on. So they can build three-sided uh, books and so on very interestingly. So a lot of lot more combinations of potential here of how, how these institutions can work with fintechs. And I think that helps the existing incumbents also participate in innovation methodically. Lastly, I must say, I'm always concerned as an investor for customer data privacy, customer health, and customers, uh, of course, uh, security and, and financial health. Uh, we must say, uh, we must, of course, um, disclose that there were, a, there were a few companies in India that were doing quite uh, unhealthy things for the ecosystem. Uh, for example, there was a ban on Chinese apps in, in the credit sector, for example. I think those are the kind of uh, interventions I would like to see regulators make. I would always want a healthy healthy ecosystem, and I'm glad the regulators stepped in. So I think on, on all these lines, I'm uh, the fintechs that are trying to build this the right way have taken this in stride. It is good for their long-term sustainability, and I'm very excited to see now that the, the boundaries are established, how these companies will scale out to become large players. Absolutely. Sanjay, if you could please come and weigh in. If you see how, uh, and as Pranav mentioned, right, there was an evolution which happened with fintechs. Uh, they started with services, they started with payments, and many of the fintechs uh, started going towards lending, effectively uh, either lending on their own books or uh, uh, trying to be, uh, you know, lending through banks or lending through NBFCs or effectively being a loan originator for banks or NBFCs. Uh, but one big part, which is the risk part on the loan, if it uh, defaulted, a lot of fintechs kept it on their books. Uh, now, most of those fintechs would probably maybe non-regulated, means they were not registered as a bank or an NBFC uh, with Reserve Bank of India. And uh, it's very clear, right, means the regulator has been always clear that any kind of lending will be regulated, and rightly so, because then it creates a very healthy environment in terms of the credit, else it can actually come into a huge systemic risk which can, which is not good for the economy and even for the major stakeholders within the banking system. So the regulations uh, provided clarity in terms of who can take the underwriting risk and who should not. And even the fintechs, if they really want to go down and take the risk on their books, on their balance sheet, 
then the regulator is not stopping. They are saying that, okay, you need to become a regulated entity. Effectively, that means you need to apply for a banking or a not banking, but at least for a non-banking finance license, uh, which is an entity through which they can do lending or else you can actually just play a simple service provider or an originator loan for banks. And then the responsibility is onto the bank or the NBFC to ensure that they are taking the underwriting risk and hence uh, to that extent the regulator is able to then control the credit environment so the regulation in the right direction brings complete clarity uh, the players have started adjusting to it they have really realized and understood uh, the importance of it so it's definitely in the positive direction yesterday i think the governor rbi governor while addressing the gff said that you know there is that fintech companies should create a self-regulatory body to address their needs and challenges how do you view the formation of self-regulatory bodies for the fintech space would help the entire sector to grow? Pranav, if you could please go ahead. Yeah, I think it's a very mature move by the, the governor. I must say a lot of us in fintech were very pleasantly surprised, positively. I think it's, see, I think it's about time, like I said before, we hold these fintech companies to a certain standard that is the same standard we expect from institutions. Right? These guys have to be institutions one day. Uh, the sooner they get there, the better. And the fact that they, they are now being encouraged to self-assemble and put a little bit of a pressure on each other as peers to say, look, uh, we should hash out a certain, th- certain set of things before we take it to the banks or the other institutions. They, they, they also have bodies, of course. And then we should work with the regulator and we should find common voice. I think that's a very mature call for action. right? Uh, and I, I must also say startups have reached that point where they are mature enough. They have leadership. They have seen scale. They, you know, some things have broken. Some things have worked. Uh, it is really hard to build a company, any type of company that, have, that has gone to the scale, gone IPO. And so many of them are there and now we'll get there sooner with the new IPOs and new filings that are expected. So I think it's, it's a good time. It's a great timing uh, for that call. I'm very sure a lot of them will assemble. I'm very sure a lot of them will, will uh, come up with recommendations, suggestions of the same quality as financial institutions. And I think uh, this is good for all of us, customers, observers, investors, to see that our, our companies, the products we use every day, services that are being built for us, uh, they are also reaching a mat- maturation uh, well ahead of, of uh, is typical in any other emerging economy. So I think it's a very good move. I hope uh, this governor uh, actually encourages them to come and talk to him also directly more often. Finance minister has been very approachable. The prime minister has called all of these startups as Digital India, Startup India, so on. He's launched these programs a decade back. So it's coming together very nicely, setting us up for a very different type of decade for innovation going forward. Uh, Sanjay, if you could please talk about this. So the SROs can definitely be a very effective body to ensure that uh, the practices which are followed by the players, you know, are, are something which are progressive and positive and something which really ensures that the players are within the boundary lines. Definitely, it's a need of the hour, in fact, right now, unless, uh, you know, it will be then forced on the government to really set up its own regulatory body, which probably may not be the preferred or favorable thing. Having a a broad-based SRO, where you have various uh, players really getting involved, so that uh, the entire space really builds up more maturity, rather than an event really driving uh, some of the regulations to really come in. So, again, a positive move, completely agree with what Pranav says, a very positive move. Uh, but that move, ideally, in terms of implementation, uh, should really happen fast, right? Someone really have, will have to pick up the baton and start uh, setting it up. If we look at the current trend, a lot of these banks, the older banks and the NBFCs, they have realized the gray area that they were not able to cater to. 
and have now independently started solutions to be able to cater to these kind of users, which basically went earlier to probably of the uh, to these fintech platforms. But the banks have also now started to understand this and they are trying to get users to come and use their services. How do you see this to pan out and how does uh, how will the equation be between banks and BFCs and the fintechs? Sanjay, if you could please start first. So it's always going to be an equation of partnership and alliances, which is where now the banks, NBFCs and fintechs have really started driving towards. Both have their own advantages and limitations. Uh, banks and NBFCs, especially large banks, have set up their technology architecture, which has evolved over the years. And hence, uh, they definitely have their own limitation of how overnight they can really transform the technology to new age technology, make it more agile, make it more customer and user friendly because nowadays it's, it's a world of consumerism where for consumer financial services is a key uh, product and the user experience is where many of the fintechs have really focused in in terms of uh, the look and feel the simplicity uh, or how you use the app and how much time it really takes for you to uh, initiate and complete the transaction now that's something which really fintech really um, brings it on board and uh, many of the large institutions have started working towards it through the art digitalization program but still they may have limitations where fintechs can definitely play a big role as a partner as an alliance partner and you can see various programs coming up especially the co-lending program which is a nice way where a fintech and a bank can really come together and serve the needs of the consumer and the society so so something which definitely is going to be a mix of competing as well as uh, partnering, um, uh, but overall quite positive. Pranav, if you could please swing. I, I, I think Sanjay's made really good points. I'll go uh, to a slightly different tangent and say, we reached a point where now startups are building software for other fintechs and financial institutions. So for example, startups are building, uh, sorry, startups are building interesting companies in SaaS, uh, SaaS applications for any lender to use to update how they collect data, run analytics, a little bit more of an uh, AI element to underwriting. Uh, so they've gotten to the point where sophisticated enough that even banks will use them. Of course, the larger fintechs who are doing lending will also be customers of such software. We're seeing some interesting IP in payment uh, protocols. So how to ensure data security, how to ensure detection of fraud, uh, at the point of sale, at the point of payment uh, in real time, right? And that's pretty advanced technology. Uh, so we reached a point now where we're, we're getting really interesting technologies to be built by startups for the financial institution. It's a good example of how the collaboration inside this ecosystem is going to get deeper and deeper, a little bit more recursive. And that also signals that we've reached a point where the maturity of this entire ecosystem is going to be uh, truly world-class. And I'm looking forward to now where we'll have our companies, of course, many of them going public, many of them will go cross-border, they'll be selling these solutions to other emerging markets, maybe to the emerging uh, developed markets as well. And I'm expecting a lot more of this will become more mainstream in areas like core banking, Finical, Oracle, and so on. So you can see from here a very interesting uh, flywheel being built that goes above and, above and beyond what we may have expected as typical for fintech innovation. Yeah, that is absolutely how these markets have been evolving for uh, fintechs. Um, if you could, both of you could weigh in on to this with bigger players like a like a Reliance when it sets up its own financial services, it is it is going to be 
one of the biggest players in this sector now. Um, how does it play for the fintech companies when they would, when such a big player enters into the market? Sanjay, if you could please start first. Well, it's true for any market or any segment or any industry, right? Every player, uh, whether it's an existing player, or traditional player or a new player, uh, will have to ensure. And in the current world where innovation really comes at a fast pace, technology, you know, every three years is changing and something new really comes in. So somewhere uh, each player, whether it's traditional or fintech, will really need to be, you know, have their guards up. They need to really keep on innovating. Uh, customer is going to be, always remain the king and they are going to be asking the best. So how are you really able to bring the best product, best technology to the customer is something which is going to remain important. So yeah, a large player coming in, potentially disrupting and the disruption comes against through innovation. I think definitely creates more competition, uh, but uh, the best will definitely survive. Pranav, if you could please talk about it. I must say it's a monumental entry. It's a very large company. It's, it's known for terrific execution. And obviously, uh, anyone reading the news knows they've prepared for many years for this entry. And I think uh, it, it signals a few things. It signals that this market now is much larger than people assume. And there is still a place for a large player to come and, and create a massive revenue pool a profit pool for itself. Number two, I think uh, it also signals how much interest there is uh, from an adoption standpoint, where there are still many customers who like these brands, who have very fond recall for these companies, obviously. Uh, I don't want to name too many names, of course, but you know there's so many brands in financial services that people have a recall for. I think there's still so, so much more room from the customer's point of view for larger brands to enter. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are more such announcements. So a lot of us are expecting them from other large groups, other large players, who are acquiring, who are consolidating to enter the financial services space. And lastly, I think it's a good sign for the economy that uh, more and more of the uh, population scale financialization that we need of savings of, of you know, usually buy gold and real estate. It's a well-known behavioral trait of, of this population. But uh, this uh, certainly seeing more financialization from a point of view of going to, um, uh, you know, mutual funds, uh, stock markets, equities. Uh, we're seeing alternatives growing very, very fast. We're seeing insurance penetration going from under 2% to hopefully 5 or 6% in the next uh, 5 to 10 years. Uh, so we're seeing a doubling, tripling, uh, uh, many Xing, as we call it in venture, across many of these market uh, markets that have otherwise been a little bit more slow to grow. So I think it's a good sign. I definitely think uh, a large company like this will also, like I mentioned in my previous point, use startup technology, build partnerships uh, to improve its market penetration and grow faster. So I think uh, now the rate of acceleration certainly is much higher. And I'm very happy to say with good, with better quality competition coming in, I think a lot more sharpness in all the players in the existing environment as well. Uh, the scale and efficiency will now become very important. So in fact, one more thing which will definitely, you will see soon happening in the market is consolidation. So you will see a lot of consolidation happening where people will be really trying to focus on scale and efficiency. Absolutely. Consolidation could be one of the biggest trends that we see now uh, because a lot of fintech players, smaller players or mid-sized players have entered into the market. It remains to be seen how well they are able to compete with the ever-changing environment of the space. Pranav, if I could have closing statements as to what you feel the industry is going to see in terms of trends, in terms of uh, bigger players coming in, in terms of funding. If I could just have closing comments from the two of you, Pranav, if you could please start first. We're cautiously optimistic as always. I think uh, we've reached a tipping point now in terms of scale, 
with so many startups when we started our careers in in, in venture investing they were quite quite young they were seed series a companies they've, they've now gone large they've gone ipo the time frames for innovation and scale have shortened uh, the demand for efficiency at that scale has gone up the maturity in these companies in innovators has gone up uh, regulation and policy has also learned to work with industry the foundations for open architectures like aa upi aadhar india stack so many other things have all come together there's a uniform playing field in the access to those innovations as well and finally of course i think uh, the best sign for this industry this sector is that the largest players in other sectors are now consolidating to enter and that means that's definitely the market size is much larger than we can imagine it will also put more competition pressure and that means better products and better experiences for us as customers so very very excited about what's to come i think financial services fintech will become embedded across our lives we will see chat uh, chat companies having ai and, and payments we will see entertainment companies having shopping and payments embedded inside uh, we will see more intelligent devices around us uh, of course in our in our pockets with our phones but on our wrists in our ears with your pods and so on so i think a connected world a very intrinsically pro customer a pro choice world uh, means uh, india's innovation is going to pull the frontier of our lives the quality of our living the standard of our uh, expenditure every day uh, to very interesting direction so very excited i think a lot more for us to do as investors as innovators founders as uh, employees joining these fintech companies of course for larger companies incumbents and many others entering as well so very exciting times looking forward to doing more in this space sanjay if you could please talk about it yeah absolutely very exciting times in fact this is just the start with the amount of work going on around data and artificial intelligence uh, for example not only the fintech players or large institutions but even regulators in the government are spending money and investing money in artificial intelligence and how they can really leverage data from a regulations perspective from a governance perspective and of course for the institutions and fintech from a market opportunity perspective so so that's the future now india actually has been a leader in some of this uh, initiatives especially something like aadhar you know or even account aggregator we are the leaders we are showing the world some of our models are now getting exported to some of the developed countries as well so definitely we are you know in this entire technology uh, arena the leaders now so exciting times exciting future and you will see still a lot of innovation which will happen in the segment thank you so much for tuning in into this podcast If you do like it please share and subscribe.